So tonight I'd like to follow up on Marcia's last talk, which was on Samvega, the sense of urgency to put the teachings into practice and to establish oneself in that which is free from suffering. It brings forth those qualities in a just beautiful way when we take refuge in the heart. And there's a sense here, when I say heart, usually heart and mind are one same word, chitta. And I really here mean the opening of the heart because it can't happen without going to that level of opening. Any moment in terms of our minds, there's a possibility for us to create more suffering or to create more happiness for ourselves and for others. And this in the terms of our own minds. I'm not saying that conditions aren't linked to suffering at times, but it's possible to nourish the quality of happiness. Therefore, practice helps us recognize this possibility. When there's clarity and insight, we see very deeply into the nature of things and we understand the cause of suffering and the cause for happiness. I think that in our ordinary lives, we are so busy that we very easily don't see the capacity that I just spoke of. And we don't have the possibility to see the capacity of making those choices, that we actually do have a choice in our life and that we do not need to be the victim of our suffering. But we're so busy that we go along very often with what we can call our desires, our attachments, our preconceptions, our views, our ideas, all of that that is linked to craving, usually. And it all seems quite natural that we are bound to that suffering. And on retreat, I think one of the most beautiful things is that we give ourselves this opportunity of stopping and of enabling us to really have those moments of clarity and insight <coughs> for ourselves. Therefore, there's a possibility that we can realize the end of suffering. We do not need to get caught again and again in those things that hurt, in those things that bring the perpetuation of feeling, of misery, of discontent, and often link to frustration in the mind. So when we become more attentive to this quality that enables to free the mind, there's definitely a releasing from that endless suffering, that endless wheel of the second noble truth caused by craving, by wanting. And here is a situation where we can sense that so clearly that we can benefit and move towards the third noble truth, which is really the end of suffering. We see that we do not need to stay stuck in our own pain. Even if we had moments of pain today, emotional pain, mental pain, physical pain, there's definitely a possibility when we look closely 
of taking care in a way that we at least see the possibility of movement and that there isn't that sense of being stuck forever. This is the spirit that brings us to practice. And I think it's the spirit that when we are wholeheartedly putting all our dedication to the moment with awareness, to careful attention, then we can sense this sense of urgency very clearly because we can see that there's a choice in our own minds. We have embarked here on an inner journey that really offers us the taste of putting down the ordinary burdens. There's really nothing here that we need to do at the ordinary level. Everything is taken care of for us to be able to practice. It's an extraordinary possibility. And therefore, we're invited again and again to strengthen that vision of the Dhamma, to go into that direction of really meeting the truth. One of the ways that Samvega, that spiritual urgency, is reflected upon is through the teaching that is named the Four Mind Changings or Four Reflections, you can say, that really are contemplations that turn the mind towards the Dhamma. They're called the Four Mind Changings rather than thinking over and over again on what we can get, we turn the mind to the vision of Dhamma. And these break down the illusion in a way that we might tend to live in, that we don't need to be hooked endlessly onto that suffering. So we can reflect deeply on the meaning and the, the deep sense of why we are on this earth? What's the purpose of our life here? I practiced, I had the very great luck to practice quite a number of years with a great Tibetan master who is now dead, whose name is Dilgo Kinse Rinpoche. And for many, many months, I was sharing moments with him in a way that I was able to receive his teachings. And this was a very, very high lama, very realized master. And he would never offer wisdom teachings without talking about these four mind changings, these four reflections. Never did I hear a so-called higher teaching without having these mentioned. Sometimes very much at length, other times just mentioned because they are the foundations. He was saying that it's needed for us to understand and to have a motivation that is up to the task, meaning that the task is not an easy one. And we do need to have a sense of urgency and really uh, endeavor or yearning to sit down and to look inside rather than just go on with our lives. Therefore, it was quite extraordinary the first time that I heard this teaching. I was very young then, in my 20s, early 20s, and it really shifted things for me in the way that I thought, yeah, life has a meaning and there's a purpose and there's something that I I can do not only for myself but for the good of the many. 
And what it meant is that I just gave a higher priority to a contemplative life, to look inwardly. And I think that we've all come here for that same reason. You may have different motives, yet you are here. And these contemplations can be reflected upon. And I think on retreat, it's really helpful at times to reflect on why we're here, what is our deepest intention for being here. So you can refer to these during your time here whenever you see it fit. And if you don't, it's no problem. (laughs) They're quite interesting contemplations. The first one is on the precious of human birth. And it's said that in the Buddhist cosmology, there are a number of kalpas, like Marcia said, lifespans, thousands of years, and also different planes of existence that one can live in. The higher planes, God realms, Brahma, Deva realms, the human plane, the one we are in, the animal plane, and the lower realms, the plane of the hungry ghost and the hell realms. Now, when he was teaching this at length, we had a description of how it is to live in each one of these realms. I won't go into this, (laughs) but it's pretty gruesome when you (laughs) have a description of the lower hell realms. And we were quite puzzled receiving these teachings and very few of us were Westerners so we really looked at him (laughs) amazed and not quite sure that we wanted to take in that understanding and this um, view because it's a view and he would always say he said it doesn't matter if you have doubts about what I'm saying you don't need to believe in this but you do need to practice because I'm saying that it is very difficult and very rare to have a human birth. It's true, you don't need to believe it, but this is your chance. (laughs) So don't miss it. Trungpa Another Tibetan master says, joyful to have such a human birth, difficult to find, free and well-favored. And we might wonder, why is it so fortunate to be human? You know, when you look around and you're seeing all this suffering, one could say, you must be kidding. All I'm seeing, and more and more do we see suffering around, inside, outside, wherever you look there is such a degree of dukkha. And yet, if we look on both sides, there's also a possibility of touching upon happiness. There are moments of joy. There are moments of peace, of really tasting this higher freedom. The possibility is here. So therefore, when we develop the causes that lead to the highest happiness, like we are here, in no other plane of existence is this possible. Lower realms, too much suffering. Definitely too much suffering. Higher realms, too much pleasure. That (laughs) they don't have the sense, you know, a lot of enjoyment, and only at the end of the life, so suddenly there's an appearance of the possibility of further suffering. So this is a very special condition that we're in. It is truly possible to direct the mind and to move it towards the direction of freedom. 
And that is quite extraordinary. We're not here by luck. We're really here because of past conditions. There's definitely something about us all reunited together here that has been caused by past conditioning. And just to take a moment to think what it took for you to be here. It definitely took some endeavor, some motivation, making the space, taking the time, asking for other people, maybe, to take the load of work, organizing things at home. We have good health, we can be here, we're not in a hospital. All of these conditions have ripened now. That means that we really are in good circumstances. There are many times that this isn't possible for whatever reason it is. People might have wanted to come and aren't here. We are the ones that are here. And even thinking of all the beings, even in this human realm, that can only think of survival. They just can only think of what they're going to eat to be alive on this earth the next day. Some are in extremely dangerous situations. There's war in so many countries today. For these beings, it's just not possible to think of a situation like ours. So it is not only precious to have a human birth, but this very situation is quite extraordinary. For many beings, it's just unthinkable that they have the possibility of growing in wisdom, in love, in compassion, generosity. And so I think it also reflects, to me at least, a sense of responsibility and also of self-respect and gratitude. That we (laughs) have the good conditions and that we are really in a way, valuing this possibility and are living up to our aspirations. At least there's an intention for that. And we may have the desire to include other beings in that intention, that we don't only offer this wisdom to ourselves, but definitely share it when the possibility, the circumstances will come. Definitely, we're not here forever. We're going to be able to share this with everyone that we meet, that we encounter. It can give us a lot of energy when there are moments when there's a little boredom in the mind and you wonder why on earth you're here. (laughs) There's doubt or maybe we really don't want to face another sitting or another walking period because it's hard. We know it's hard. It's hard for each one of us. Yet there is that possibility, that sense of preciousness that can come along. Very early on in my practice, I was practicing quite a number of months with Saida Upandita, who was quite an extraordinary teacher, very demanding in a way, but was so inspiring in his own being. And one day I had an interview with him. We had interviews every day, so um, there was (laughs) certainly a way that um, 
the hair was on fire to practice. <laughs> and one day I was just um, in there and kind of complaining about something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but complaining about a pain or something. And he listened to me and then he said, at the end of the interview, he said, remember your aspiration. You are here for nothing less than full liberation. Nothing less than full liberation. That is the intention. And I remember that I was really moved to tears when I walked out. I thought, yeah, if I have that high aspiration, no matter what happens, there's a possibility of holding the part within myself that just doesn't want to go in the direction of freedom. Because in a way, each moment of pure awareness is a moment of freedom. Each moment that there isn't greed, hatred and delusion, there is momentary freedom. And we've all had at least glimpses of this. So it's not that we're waiting for a far-out experience out there. This is happening here in the moment. The second contemplation is impermanence and death. And here again, to integrate this fact of truth of life is quite challenging. I think we all know that things change, right? (laughs) We definitely are aware But it's kind of an an acknowledgement or knowledge that is pretty conceptual in a way. And here, in practice, we bring this understanding to such a deep level because we are really practicing moment after moment. And therefore, it's not just an idea to see change, but it's living the truth of impermanence that can lead to freedom, one of the doorways. A level that really is enabling the deconditioning of grasping. No less than that. And it's not by wanting to get more, but much more in the sense of relaxing into this flow of change to embody the possibility of that wisdom of understanding impermanence. There's birth and there's death of a breath. There's birth and there's death of a sound, of an emotion, a thought, a mind state, a day, a morning, a breakfast. This is what is happening at a momentary level. Even if it seems very solid, it isn't at all solid. And death happens because of birth. And it's not a mistake. You know, death, we sometimes... When I have dear ones that die, I say, what happened? You know, it's not, it's a mistake. Something's wrong there. We really don't sense it as a reality that if there's birth, there's going to be death. It's just the truth of what is. It's really difficult to integrate that at that level. And I think we deny it a lot because there's fear. We're scared to see that truth and to live it. It's uncomfortable, yet it's unavoidable. This is from Dilgo Kensi again. He says, death is real. It can come without warning. This body will be a corpse. We don't know when. So it's true that we can't fool ourselves. I mean, we can at a certain level, but practice is this extraordinary gift that when this moment will come, 
for each one of us because we'll be we'll have seen the birth and the death of a breath <coughs> of a step of a moment there's definitely going to be more comfort within that realm of ending of life just the other day we had a friend that has a chronic disease and he's been you know going pretty well for a number of years and then suddenly his liver didn't function anymore and the doctor told him you have a week to live one week he died yesterday and it really brought sorrow but then yes more than ever did practice come alive it's what will happen it happened for him yesterday it happens every day and for one day who knows when and realizing that in fact i was thinking this morning that the buddha was certainly moved to go to the end of suffering and to really touch freedom to find the unconditioning to really find that place within himself where there is the deathless and that's what he did and we all seek for that place for that possibility of meeting the deathless where there is no conditioning nothing which is subject to change now this truth lies for all of us here it's a possibility just like for the buddha and so if we sincerely look within during our days here just allowing the moment to be as it is allowing to let it be and let it go without interfering in a way that we want it to be better or different that's all we need to do and then we'll just be with the flow of life that changes it's not that we need to do anything else but be present and that's something that you know we might think wow the unconditioning <laughs> how to relate in my practice that i can really touch upon the unconditioning when there's the absence of craving the absence of grasping the absence of clinging there is this possibility of touching momentarily this unconditioned so you may want to see in your practice this fact of impermanence at your own pace respecting your fear because i'm sure that at one level there is fear of letting go of letting be but that's exactly the place where we sense the conditioned and the unconditioned in the same place one moment there's a holding and the next there's a freedom from holding and we become just more and more familiar with this flow of change just by being present every moment nothing else and relaxing into into that momentariness of life that enables one to reach freedom the third contemplation is the law of karma cause and effect now this 
could take a whole talk, but definitely I'm just going to mention a few aspects which seem to be most important. It's what we do matters. That's what, <laughs> what we do counts. And we understand that actions bring results. And that's exactly the way that we do not need and we cannot be victims of our own suffering because there's a responsibility of holding that possibility of choice. We are so often victim of our own suffering. That is not needed. It brings just more suffering. Therefore, wholesome actions, we can sense that they bring forth wholesome results. It's very easy, not very complicated. Likewise, unwholesome actions will bring unwholesome results for ourselves in our own minds and, of course, for others if the action is done outwardly. And so what we need to understand is what dominates in the mind is what will bring us to act, make us act. Therefore, awareness, again, is this extraordinary possibility. And here, we have all the time to be aware and to see what is going on in our own mind. It's easy to see that positive actions will lead to an experience of happiness, of joy. And the reverse will bring pain and sorrow, more and more so. What most conditions the results of an action is the intention. It's the motive behind the action. And this is exactly where we're really enabling to see exactly what is the intention. In our ordinary life, forget about intentions. <laughs> Already we're not aware of action, but you know it's going so fast that it's hard to see the intention. And of course, if we have a lot of practice, we can. But here, it's the perfect situation to notice what kind of thoughts are arising in the mind what kind of motives we have. And it's not, again, to feel shameful or to hide out because we're seeing really ugly things. <laughs> not at all. There is a purification process happening here that if there's awareness and we see maybe the reaction to having anger or to having a sense of aversion, fear, sadness, or whatever is happening in the mind, and we don't act upon it, awareness will purify that mind state. Therefore, there's a possibility to really release the mind from the holdings of greed, hatred, and delusion. There's a wonderful understanding here. And so to watch and to be able to have this luxury of noticing what is it that is appearing in the mind. I have a story around karma, which really shows also the complexity of cause and effect. I practiced two or three years ago at Chaswa Monastery in Burma near Mandalay. And this is a center that's out in the country, and I had the luck <laughs> to have a kuti, a little cottage, all alone near the rocks, and uh, there was no pavement, so I had to go upstairs, and I was really kind of out in the wild compared to other yogis. But I liked the idea, so I, when I was offered that room, I said, yes, great. Not thinking <laughs> that there would be many animals living up there. 
and not realizing that one day when I opened the door of my little cottage, really not big, there was a snake, a big snake, <laughs> inside. And you don't know the fear that I have of snakes, <laughs> having lived in Africa for many years. Um, I have a fear of snake, but thanks to the practice, I didn't yell, <laughs> I didn't scream. There was mindfulness and equanimity. Therefore, I really looked at that animal, quite amazed, and just saw it there. And it was beautiful. <laughs> it was yellow and black striped. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful animal. I just need to move it out, you know. It's, we can't live together. <laughs> but I really had the sense of interconnectedness. Because with sensitivity, and you'll see with practice, one becomes very sensitive. But I was a little afraid to do this alone, so I asked for some help from the Burmese staff. And um, they came along, and they took the snake out. I was very happy, except for the next moment, the snake was dead. They had killed it. And I fell apart then. There was this incredible feeling like it was my own death, really. Such a, a, an open heart that I was just so compassionate. And I thought, oh my goodness, why? And then, of course, feeling of guilt, feeling <laughs> all the mind states, I should have done it myself, alone, whatever. And then the next day, I see the Sayadaw for an interview, Sayadaw Lakana. And he had heard of the story, of course. And I started my interview and was in tears. And he said, oh, but you don't need to worry for your karma. You didn't kill the snake. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is not about karma, but what about the person that did that action? I was really sensing then the compassion for this man who had done the act. And it's an interesting way of seeing and understanding, because I'm sure that within um, the law of karma, we don't always think that way. And he said, well, it's very simple. If the intention, if the motive of that person was to save many beings by killing the snake, then the intention is wholesome and it's a positive action. If in the mind of this man there was anger and aversion, then of course the result is an unwholesome one. Very complex, you know. <laughs> so for us all, and there's, it's a hard thing to see exactly where it is that there is purity of motive here. Often it's a mix of motive. We may have the very first thought is an intention, which is to, totally wholesome, the desire to do something. And then the next thought will just be wanting, or there's attachment. And so it's quite incredible to see the complexity of what this law of karma can bring. In any case, the power of our motivation can change if we reflect on that aspect of life, that it does matter, and that we do want to end the suffering. Therefore, we can really sense that whatever it is that we're motivated by, if it's we're here to reduce stress, if it's to understand more our emotional states, if the motivation is to awaken for the sake of all sentient beings, Whatever is your motivation, value that highest motivation, that highest intention for practice. And it's helpful at times to begin sittings with that intention in the mind. So that whatever happens in the sitting, it's contained and it's flavored with that higher aspiration. 
there's a sense there of great safety in a way, of protection, and that we lead our mind towards purity, then whatever happens, happens. And we need to (laughs) dig in a way in our emotional states and the torments of the mind to free the mind from them. We may have also the motivation that we practice not only for our welfare, but for the welfare of all beings. May this motivation of mine, may this intention of mine, of my practice, help all those that I will be meeting when I'll be in the world again. And there's a clarity there of intention that really brings some joy to the mind. Practice is easier when there's gladness in the mind. Calm comes along through joy. The last contemplation is about contemplating the limits of samsara. Or traditionally it's said the defects of samsara. (laughs) Defects or limits. Limits is my own (laughs) wording. This is probably the complication that we sense the best. That if we're here, there's definitely a sense that we understand there are limits to the happiness that we can get through sense pleasure, through meeting other people, embracing the truth of suffering or whatever dissatisfaction or source of stress we've had. There's this sense that we are endlessly wandering in this life and you wonder where is the end if craving is the motive where is the end to this suffering I think that we can really see when we look clearly that there's really no end to wanting if we let wanting be this, I don't see an end to it, at least in my own mind, without taking an action of awareness and of holding it in wisdom. It's so powerful. And the strength of attachment is really strong. This task is not easy. But in a way, we've seen this so clearly that we've renounced for some time the comfort of our sweet home, the comfort of our ordinary affairs of what we do, what we like. So we're here for a sake. There's some concern, and we value this situation, certainly, even if there's things that we're missing, and it's normal. And then we can also probably sense at times just the value of simplicity. Really, how much do we need to be happy? And often we ask ourselves, you know, what do I really need in order to be happy? Is it more material goods that will really make me happy? Maybe not to hold that question again really brings a lot of trust that we're on the path that will bring to a higher happiness. Nothing less than that. And it may also be good to remember when there are moments when we do miss home or we do indulge in wanting something, that our minds wander here and there, are distracted by thoughts, and that we let it be. (laughs) We can have many, many stories as if we were at home, (laughs) redecorating the house 
or what are we going to do when we get out? There are many, many moments that this is happening. And so this sense of urgency uh, can come along and we can really think again about these four contemplations. In a way that it's not to move ourselves, to force ourselves, but to see again and again, probably after having been there in those whirlwinds, in the thoughts, in the distraction, and how many stories we've had today, maybe, looking back, Was that painful? Was that frustrating? We're not there. This is not the reality. So how many stories can we create where we're not just living the truth of this moment and trying to not be here in one way or another? That's also included in seeing the defects of samsara. How much is going on in the mind and how much we let the mind indulge in a kind of laziness, says the Buddha. And when it stops, when again we're here and totally connected to the moment, there's a release from that pain. So one moment it may appear that we're really in a dark room. There's a lot of contraction, and we're totally entangled, involved in our stories that hurt, that are painful. We identify with the story, with the thought, and suddenly we wake up, and there's a possibility of seeing, wow, it's just a thought. And that moment, again, a possibility of awareness, of understanding, of wisdom comes along. And it will appear as if we've moved out of the dark room and suddenly we are in open air. And not only are we in open air, but there's a possibility of spaciousness that really looks like this infinite sky that we have here. Appreciating then the sense of freedom that the mind can attain. And we'll all be at times in the dark room, and it's okay, knowing that this is not the place where we want to land. But we are very delicately with understanding, with a motive that moves us forward, also having this availability of open air. And what the perspective awareness does is that it shows us that it's all happening in our mind. It's not happening anywhere else than in our own mind. So we put this teaching into practice. And we establish ourselves the best way we can with the best intention. And that's it. That's all we need to do. Just do the best that we can. Nothing more. If you do more, it's going to be wanting. (laughs) So holding that intention of establishing ourselves and really allowing the moment to carry you along to non-clinging. And then the heart is nourished. That heart that I talked about is clearly nourished. There's a sense of connection at that level. And there's healing, ease, well-being, which all in all will bring total freedom one day. So we contemplate the preciousness of this human birth, 
and especially here, the preciousness of this situation. We contemplate the law of impermanence and death. We contemplate the law of cause and effect, seeing intention, what are motives, just seeing very clearly what is happening in the mind. And we can contemplate at times the defects of samsara, that what we so much want out there isn't that essential, and that not very long from now we'll probably have all those things that we're missing. So to value the the preciousness of this situation. And this means, like I said at the beginning, that we have a variety of choices. There are choices that we make that will create a greater happiness. And to see what are those choices that we're making. At times, we will create our own happiness. And at times, you'll see, because of the truth of craving, clinging will create our suffering and it's just to see it all every experience enables us to free the mind from that craving so I'd like to close with the Dalai Lama's prayer he it said that it's his daily prayer one of probably <laughs> says, for I am fortunate to be alive. I have a precious human life. I am not going to waste it. I'm going to use all my energies to develop myself, to expand my heart to others, to achieve awakening for the benefit of all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.